Hello and welcome to Brain Noodles, a Geeks Like Us podcast. I'm Dr. Megan Connell and I am joined today by, introduce yourselves please. Hello, I'm Dr. Sarah Sawyer. Hi, I'm Dr. Rachel Cowart. And this is the podcast where we talk about the things our, our brain is noodling on. Uh, Dr. Kelly Dunlap will be joining us, but she's running a little behind today. So we, due to scheduling the bane of all adults, uh, we decided to go ahead and get started for today. So <laughs> how's everybody doing? Good. Good. Oh. Feeling a little overwhelmed today, but thus is life. <laughs> How is 2020 going for everyone? Uh, good. <laughs> <laughs> I, there was a long pause between the <laughs> answering that. How are we doing, Sarah? Let, do, do we have something to Come share? On, Sarah. To, we're here for you. <laughs> Lots of organizing, which I know was the topic of last conversation. Lots of like setting up for efficiency over the year. So I've been getting going with that. I moved as I moved offices. So you guys don't get the view, but uh, well, you all, because I can't assume everyone is a guy or identifies as such. But for those of you who are not on the Zoom call right now, <laughs> you don't get to see the new landscape, but uh, there's just a different view because I was shifting my office to suit my needs. So here we are. She has a lovely plant hanging in the background and another one by, or two, I think, by a TV. So uh -huh. plants been shown to help with productivity and overall happiness. True. And so they clean That is good. Yes. Oxygen. It's a beautiful office. It's Lots of natural light. Yeah. Yeah. It is. It's good. Soundproofing will be the biggest challenge because uh, this is not the only podcast that will be recorded in this room. And so I have to figure out coordination, but it'll happen. Soundproofing is a thing. Uh, the way I have handled it in my office when I try to soundproof is I hold a, um, a large blanket in my lap mm -hmm. sometimes. That's good. That well, doesn't yeah. work. Oh, just, oh just okay. Cool I was going to say, well, that sounds cozy. Oh, it doesn't work. Never mind. It does sound cozy. No. <laughs> I'm going to, I was telling um, Rachel that I am, was Googling because sound dampening is expensive if you buy it. But I was looking on, of course, the great Pinterest and Etsy uh, and saw that people have used felt in curious ways, like they've made felt portrait, like they've taken a canvas and put felt on it in artistic ways to create soundproofing. Um, and so since my plant themed like geek forest theme is on point thus far, I'm going to make um, felt succulents and make giant felt succulents for my cement ceiling and then make a smaller succulent portrait to go in front of my desk. So it'll, it'll happen. I have to say when you were saying felt things, the what went in my head was crushed velvet Elvis, Elvis paintings. Oh, amazing. <laughs> That's also now an option. I have to be <laughs> That'd be awesome. Crushed velvet paintings of Star Wars. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Baby it's Yoda. Green. We do love him. <laughs> <laughs> Baby Yoda is life. Yeah, it, it's, um, so I'm in North Carolina where I cannot really say it's cold because Rachel's in Canada. I'm in Canada and it's very cold. Yes. <laughs> but I will say this. Last week, the high was 70. I woke up this morning and it was 23. Oh, that's hard. It's hard yeah. when it switches so much. Yeah. It's that thing of like, you know, jumping, easing yourself into the cold bath or just diving in head first. 
Uh, So the the dive into the cold temperatures has not been fun. (laughs) No, it's been very cold here in Ottawa as well for 2020. And we got a lot of snow last weekend, which is beautiful from your house, but sometimes difficult when you have to drive in it. And um, I also have an electric car and the range on the battery in the electric car is halved in the cold. So you really have to, like, I had to take my mom to the airport today. It's like, better make sure you charge your car. You're not going to make it back home. Um, But 2020 is off to a good start. Actually, I've had several injuries since the year started. And I feel like, I I know, I feel like I'm just going to get them all out of the way now. So first, it's so odd. First, I, my wedding ring got caught in my baby gate and snapped and ripped my finger open and like damaged tendons. And it was like a whole thing and like freakish. And I couldn't replicate it if I tried. Then I burned my arm. I would show you, but it's disgusting. Really, really badly on um, taking a cookie sheet out of the oven. And it just hit my arm. It's got to be like whatever the most degree burn is. It's that. It's really bad and very painful. I know. And it's like, okay, 2020. I'm not normally that klutzy. I guess I'm just getting like all my injuries out of the way now so the rest of the year can be smooth. I'm hoping. Sounds legit. Wow. I know. Yeah, they make breakaway rings that you can get that like rip easy. It's so weird. They had to like, I have it back. They sent it and they had to completely reforge it. Like it was totally destroyed. And it's platinum. It's not like soft. Like I don't really know. How that so they had to like throw it back into the fires of Mount yes, Doom. They did reforge it. Maybe you needed it as your lucky totem for the year. Maybe it's a lot shinier now that they reforged it. <laughs> <laughs> so, Sarah, you've been moving into the new office for 2020. Rachel's yes. been hurting herself. I know. It's How about balanced. you? Do you have yeah. better luck than either of us? Yeah, you're in the middle, Very right? Guilty. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I've I've been working on adults. I'm trying to write a book. Um, so I've got a few, few thousand words in on that. They're not good word. They're words. It's um, yeah. And then like I, the cool thing that I am absolutely loving though is I'm getting a lot of consultation calls. Um, like actually after the podcast today, I'm doing a consultation. And I when I went in to the office on Monday, um, I have a very strict line of I don't answer work emails over the weekend or when I'm home with family. Um, so when I get on in on Monday, I had four different requests for research consultation, which was really, really awesome. And I love it. Um, but it, it creates this scheduling thing of like, oh, God, now I have to I like booking out till the end of February and I'm trying to keep organized and use that planner. Oh, my gosh. I'm using it so much. Good. Good. <laughs> like I was. Yeah, I, I think I'm going to have to start putting out a thing of like, if we have scheduled a meeting and I have not sent you a link for a Zoom, you know, the Zoom meeting, assume I forgot it and hit me up again so that we can actually do it. Because um, I'm like having to triplicate my calendar to make sure I actually get everything. And we are now joined by the lovely and talented Dr. Kelly Dunlap. She is here, but I don't know if she, she can hear us yet. No, she can't. Oh, oh, we're, we're <laughs> she the... definitely can't. <laughs> the conundrum is, if she can't hear you, how did she know to shake her head at that moment? I yeah. think she's shaking her head at the computer. I see blue in her glasses, so I'm, I'm hoping yes. her computer has not blue screened of death. Yay, there, there she is. is. Hi. Hello. <laughs> Hello. 
So we were just catching up on how everyone's 2020 is thus far. Uh, Rachel has been injured a lot. Uh, oh. Sarah has been moving. Oh. How is your 2020 going so far? Well, um, it's been... <laughs> It's been quite the roller coaster. Let me see if I can find a place to put this microphone in my face. Um, yeah, so it's been uh, a roller coaster. Um, I came into 2020 without a job and without knowing anything of what I was going to do um, going forward. But uh, and then I got sick. I had food, uh, like some kind of stomach bug that put me on my butt for a week, and like all this other crap. My grandfather was in the hospital, but now as of today, my grandfather is out of the hospital, which is great. I am healthy, which is great. And I just came back for a cat. I was a cat. Um, <laughs> stealing my thunder. Uh, I just came back from a, a job interview and I have been hired. So I am deliriously podcast here. It's at first day. Yes, yes. Deliriously happy. Um, so yeah, I'll be working at a local practice here in Maryland, uh, seeing clients doing geek and gamer therapy. Yay! That's exciting. That's so Yay. exciting. Oh my God. So congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's so Critical cool. So success. it sounds like... Yes, it definitely was a, so... a crit. <laughs> it, is the, it is the critical year. So yes, that, that is a big thing that is happening. Yeah, no, my 2020, like, it seems to be the year of subscription things, like for writing, I'm trying out this program called Ulysses, which I don't know if anybody's used before. Um, it, it's interesting because uh, the formatting of it lets you immediately export it to ebooks and EPUB, like, so without having to change the formatting and stuff, um, and it lets you keep things in sections to move around where you need to. So I'm liking that. And then also I'm trying uh, something called World Anvil for organizing the world that uh, Clinical Role, the D&D uh, &D game I stream and that Rachel's a player on, is uh, in because I was trying to keep everything in OneNote. And OneNote works very, very well for quick information and storing information on individual sessions. But for the actual world, it's not so good. Uh, it quickly got too full. So I'm trying that. So we'll see how that all goes. I don't know. <laughs> you have to let us know so you can we can learn from your trial and error. Yes, most definitely. Yeah, get us those uh, legit strats and hacks. <laughs> <laughs> Gonna try. I, I, I'm trying to be organized and to do things because uh, there's just a lot. It's good. It's all good, but it is a lot. Wow. It's only January, so we still have plenty of time to organize our lives for the rest Accurate. of the year. Every day. Yes. Organize. Hmm. You have been using your planner, Kelly. We've been talking. I, I have. Um, I have been and, using and my planner. Been helpful? It's yes. been helpful? Uh, yes. I don't know if I would consider myself organized, but uh, it has been helping with the... Oh, what did I forget? Wait a minute. There was that thing. What was that thing going to be? So, but but, but forward progress. Yes. Well, and what games have has everyone been playing in 2020 thus far? <laughs> Minecraft. My life is consumed by Minecraft. That's so Same. fun, Kelly. <laughs> so I have been, um, I've been playing a, lo a lot of different games. Like this weekend was fantastic. But I'm, I'm the reason I'm giggling um, to myself is that the last game I played came out in 2007. 
It is <laughs> the Elder Scrolls uh, Shivering Isles expansion for the Oblivion. For Oblivion. Oh, yeah. And the reason I'm playing it is because I mean, my students either play or watch playthroughs of it for class for Wednesday. Um, and I feel like I need to have played through the entire thing as well. So it's like 10 hours of DLC content that I'm trying to get through in like three days. Um, so yeah, that's why I'm laughing about what have I been playing in 2020? I was, I've been playing an expansion pack that came out in 2007. For some, well, I mean, what Minecraft came out in 2009. Yeah. See, we're not far behind. Yeah. <laughs> but I've, I've also been playing uh, full metal furies, which I highly recommend. It is like castle crashers. If castle crashers was fun and had depth. Um, so it's very good. It is four-person <laughs> four co-op, online or couch co-op. That's all I'm saying. Oh. And all of the, uh, the characters are female, and they're, they're fighting to save the world. So I'm just saying, if we needed a game to play, I think it's on Game Pass, and it's so technically free. Um, but yeah, just throwing that out there to the universe. And I played Sea of Thieves with my pirate crew last night as well. Nice. Nice. I thought we were always comparing games to Stardew Valley. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, Full Metal Furies is like if Stardew Valley got overrun by the Greek pantheon, and you now need to reclaim it uh, by slaughtering things. And Oblivion Shivering Isles is like Stardew Valley if everybody was a tropey, mentally ill character living in hell oh so they were all shane yeah i don't know who shane is in stardew valley okay i'm only like three days into stardew valley okay go start romancing shane it moves so slow (laughs) so slow there's no explosions i can't even have a dog like you get a dog not i get a dog i can't well not three days in no but like a week in that's yeah. like four more days of just pending props, guys. I mean, like, I killed a guy in Shivering Isles, and as a reward, I got his skinned hound. Like, just like that. Okay, I'm you not heard sure. it first. <laughs> I see. I see all your faces doing this psychoanalyzing thing. Oh my God, you have a baby Yoda cup. No, no, no judgment. I do have a baby Yoda cup. Everyone, everyone should know. The child. child. <laughs> and it is official merch from Disneyland, Disney World. My neighbor brought it for me because they know me so well. If it's any validation, Kelly, I have been playing through uh, NG Plus of Persona 5, which is mm. a very weeby JRPG, for uh, an article that Dr. Emery Daniel and I are putting together. Um, so it's, it's not like I'm playing anything super exciting and new anyways. So we're all playing throwbacks and mm-hmm. such. I think... That game came out in like 2011. It's been a while. 2013, somewhere. It, not, not in the last four years. But it's all so for it, science. It wouldn't count for <laughs> all for science. But, so these, yeah, these for games some... would not count for like an APA citation of like for you know accreditation of a CE. So they published over the last five years. Ten years. Oh, that was the last five. What? First of all, <laughs> dun, video dun, games dun. are a unique medium that have their own constraints and own affordances outside of the APA's preconception of what is good. 
Accurate. Also, was, there are newer editions of the same games that come out frequently, which Persona's mm -hmm. having a new version coming out. So there. Yeah. Well, and start and uh, sorry, Minecraft just had the bees update. Yes. Oh yeah. my gosh, the bees are everywhere. The bees. And one <laughs> for a distinct purpose. I'm pretty sure you can use media anyhow, even if it's more than ten or five years old. Yeah. Sure. If you like identify we'll say that important, such as video games are a unique medium. We I can decide. use it. You just need three that are more recent for citations. I this think. is a level so. of nuance that I was not aware of. And I'm wondering if where I was failed in my education, whether I just skipped that day or um, this was not on the E-triple-P, let me tell you. AP no, it was not. <laughs> no, the E-triple-P is the exception where they can use all of these studies from 1973 but you must know the researchers' names. Yes. I, mm. can, we, can we have an episode where, where we trash the EPPP, please? Oh, my God. Please. I have worst. some actually legitimate concerns. I, we can go down that train another day, but I have a friend who her, lang her first nor third nor fifth language was English, and she is facing great difficulties as a result, and, like, there is no sympathy. Yeah, yeah. Opinions. There's, I have many, many. I think that's another day we should talk about okay. professional problems because that, that will be a rabbit hole we'll all get down. But let's, let's take a quick break before we jump into our primary topic. Everybody grab a hot cocoa or a hot tea and a blanket because it's cold. <laughs> and by cold, I mean like 23 degrees, which is balmy for Rachel. <laughs> T-shirt weather. Do you like Dungeons and Dragons streams? Who doesn't? Come check out Geeks Like Us Clinical Role, Mondays from 9 to 12 EST. Whereas his Dr. Megan, Canel takes her psychologist friends through the Underdark into pirates? Oh, I want to be a pirate. Oh, get my sword. Anyway, Clinical Role, Mondays, 9 to midnight, on the Geeks Like Us Twitch channel. <laughs> Today's episode should instead be about the frustrations of adulting. Yeah. Like, yeah. Adulting scheduling. Yeah. Oh my God. Noise canceling. Yeah. Because that's Cat that vomit. nasty underbelly about, um, about planning and being excited and scheduling and goals that no one talks about. Yeah. Well, like, and let's, let's put, keep this in the episode here. Cause like that really is a legit thing. Like when you're in school all your peers have pretty much the exact same schedule as you. Yeah. So it is super easy in a lot of ways to schedule things, to be like, hey, I know we all get out of school at four o'clock. So at five, let's all go hang out or play a game or at seven, let's get on and start playing Sea of Thieves or whatever. But no, like we're all adults and we have different schedules. And then how dare us, some, some of us live in different time zones, Sarah. <laughs> Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, more the rest Sorry. of us are the same. Yeah, and like it, it's when we tried to reschedule recording brain noodles, we were like, "What about this? No, I can't do that. What about this? No, I can't do that. It's impossible." Like literally, this time on this day, every other week is the only time at which we all have available an available hour. It's difficult. That's it's it. very difficult. And as a therapist, cue shame when like I'm onboarding a new client because I have a couple openings, but unless I'm abundantly clear in their like welcome email of like, yeah, I'm accepting clients. This is my time slot. That is it. I feel terrible when I'm like, no, 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 no. I can only do Tuesdays at freckle past a hair. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. that's not therapeutic. Yeah. Lots of freckles. 
freckles and hairs. Oof. Yeah. And that's a hard thing too, with being in our profession. It's like, we want to be accommodating to our clients and their time, but like we are also uh, by our ethics code allowed to take care of ourselves and <gasps> figuring out, I know. Wait uh, and so figuring out that balance, right. Of how much of my time do I make available versus what time is for me and professional development. And it's, it's not easy. I don't have a perfect solution to it. It's just, it's a frustration and it is a real frustration. <laughs> It's a constant struggle. And I think that's why going back to our talk about planners, uh, planners are really important because you can schedule, you should schedule in time for yourself in your schedule. Mm -hmm. So when they say, oh, can we do Tuesday at two, which is when we record this, um, <laughs> I see in my, in my planner, no, because this is the time that I've set aside. Um, and no, I'm not going to move it. And that's just, you know, my time to talk but with you all. May the gods forbid if you keep three different redundant calendars because HIPAA and EHR systems and other people have hands in your schedule and if you miss a slot or something overlaps oh. or something happens, which makes the planner yeah. hard too because then it's like either you create multiple redundancies for the sake of your own sanity or you fly by the seat of your pants until you open the given browser site that like tells you what the heck is going on with your life. Oh yeah, I, I'm in the, the buckle up fly by the seat of your pants. Yeah. I'm down with that. It fits. <laughs> That's one of the things that it's like, I, sometimes I daydream of like, just moving to Canada and working as Rachel's assistant. Hey, <laughs> come on. All, all I'm saying anytime. is the place that I was just hired at is rapidly expanding and looking to hire. Just East coast. Come live with me. In my basement. It's a very nice space. Well, it's, it's my gaming den. Like the big TV is down here. All the consoles are. It's it's a nice. It's not a creepy basement. It's a nice <laughs> garden level. Garden level. Yeah. Uh, speaking of consoles, though, uh, who all is excited for the PS Five? It's like it's backwards compatible back to PS One. Me, Megan and I, yeah, Megan and I Rachel, am, the only two no. raising hands. I'm very excited. Yeah. I'm Amber, really? I'm Amber Console. I am hardcore Xbox fangirl. It's okay. And I like the Xbox too, but I'm just excited because I have some wonderful PS2 games that I love and I'm very excited to be able to play again. Wait, we can put the disc in? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's the big thing that they announced is PS5 is going to be backwards yeah. compatible all the way to PS1. I'm excited also, Kelly, because then Xbox will feel pressured to do the same. True. Oh, well, I mean, the, they announced that the new console will be coming out soon. Uh, next, this year? I think this year. Wow. Next year is now this year. Time, man. <laughs> Get everything else. I'm waiting for Animal Crossing. That's all I'm here for. Yes. I'm very excited about that. There's a new Halo dropping this year. Halo Infinite. Mm. Excited. Very excited about that. The new Hellblade comes out this year too, question mark? I believe so. And the Maybe. Final Fantasy VII remaster? That's where I'm at. That's where my excitement lies. Do you think they're going to yes. include the laugh again? They better. <laughs> Excited. I'm just looking forward to also to Breath of the Wild uh, yes. 2. I cannot wait for that. On Nintendo. 
Yes. I, I know. I... <laughs> okay, let, me, let me take you into my last semester course where I literally taught the history of video games. Yes, I do know that Zelda is a Nintendo franchise. Thank you, though, for making sure that I felt included. <laughs> I'm just confused because you weren't making the excited face, and I just love Legend of Zelda I, so much. I've never, I think I played Link to the Past, <gasps> possibly on the Wii. Of all the choices. I just, <laughs> so I, I want to be very clear. RPGs are not my thing. They're just not. Um, which again, which is why I'm struggling with Stardew Valley. Uh, the best RPG I ever played was Skyrim because it's the least RPG-y of all of the RPGs out there. Like I will never touch a JRPG. It's just, I, oh, I can't. That was my I'm heartbreaking. In case if anyone I, want to know what that was. If I wanted was. to play dress up, you know, there are other games that let me play dress up. And I'm, I'm sorry. I don't want to waste time figuring out which armor has a better buff versus another. No, just give me the best damn armor so I can go kill the thing. So just, it's not, it's not my style. I would much rather blow things up. I would much rather charge headlong tank style into a battle or, you know, like solve puzzles. Like I loved when they, um, when they rebooted Tomb Raider, Rise of the Tomb Raider, so good because there's RPG elements, but it is still like, it's not on rails, but it's, you know, comparatively on rails. And I like that. I like that structure and I like that support uh, because I traditionally hate side quests. And I, I learned this playing Oblivion, which I, it's funny because that's now what I'm back to of, well, to go on this quest, you need to unlock this box, but you don't have any lockpicks. You need to go on this quest to go get some lockpicks. Ha, but you can't do that because you got to go do that thing. And by the time I do the thing that they actually wanted, the, the last thing they wanted to do, I don't remember what I was doing in the first place. And I don't remember how to get there. And I'm very scared and alone. And I'm like, no, just give me the arrow pointing where I need to go. And then I'm happy. And right. Takes all tests. <laughs> yep. And, okay. and that was Kelly's TED talk. <laughs> <laughs> well, and on that note, let's pivot into our main topic, which is talking about viewing ourselves in media. So not just video games here. I'm kind of counting movies and TV and, and everything of uh, talking about, you know, representation in gaming and the importance of that as well. And I'm curious for all of you, like what was the first time where you had an experience where you saw a character that you really identified with? I raised, I raised my hand. Go ahead, Kelly. Uh, the Little Mermaid. Oh. The Little Mermaid was the first time I can remember ever seeing a redhead on TV, which might sound silly, but, and uh, the angsty fight she had with her dad, I really, really identified with. Um, I mean, so much so that, like, literally when I got married, the wedding music from The Little Mermaid is what I walked down the aisle to. Like, it was that important to me. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, back then, before it was like, ooh, we're going to do something edgy and steampunk, so the girl's going to have red hair, which is now kind of like the default. Back then, back in my day, um, The Little Mermaid was released in 1986. So, oh, 1989. Yeah, it was released in 1989. Um, so I probably didn't see it till I was, you know... I didn't see it when it came out because I was too little, but that was my, my first time. Like, yes, you look like me. You have similar struggles, like at least in the parental department that I do. Um, my best friend was not a fish, but I, you know, I was able to, to let that slide. How about for you, Rachel or Sarah? Um, I don't know if I can remember the first, but now that um, Disney princesses have been brought up, I really did relate to Belle. 
since she was a little strange and would rather be by herself with a book than with other people <laughs> versus, you know, the traditional princess, which is like, I want a prince and I want to run away and I want to get married. Um, that was never my vibe. Um, but yeah, and she had brown hair, not a blonde princess. Not, there were not brunette princesses were much less common at the time. Um, and she clearly has the best dress, that yellow dress. Never forget. So I, I would have to say Belle. Disagree. Well, to each their own. I will. I will keep Belle. No, no, no. I mean, like, yes to Belle. No to the dress. Oh, really? <sighs> <laughs> I would say I'm not shocked, but I'm just. I. I'm not shocked. No. And what about oh, you? This checks out. <laughs> I would say there's two levels of feeling seen, like mm-hmm. feeling represented. Mm-hmm. One was like. Bell slash jazz probably jasmine frankly mm. um more of the although foreshadowing into the rest of my life i didn't realize how accurate that would be um but of that like do the thing be the proper whatever don't like be wise with your choices in life and follow the rules versus like being her own person mm. and i've always been very like my own person. Um, but then I feel like when I, when I was in my formative teenage years, there was a new level of being seen, which I'm still trying to determine when like, I felt like a character was there, but I feel like that experience was qualitatively different than watching a cartoon and identifying your hair matches mine. Yay. We're the same. Like not to minimize that experience either. Cause that's, so important but like also emotionally versus like physically Mm -hmm. it feels complex Mm -hmm. how about you Megan this is gonna be odd but like the first one that popped into my head was the unicorn character from the last unicorn it's been like three episodes Um, since we talked about the last unicorn so I'm glad you brought it up again (laughs) required no it's one of those movies like it stuck with me so much and just uh, her struggle of trying to figure out where she fit in and how she fit in and being part of one world, but not really fitting there, but also not really fitting, then getting the world back that she belonged to, but now no longer fitting in that world completely. Um, And to that end, like that was where Belle is the princess I identify with the most of always feeling slightly out of step with the world around you. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was just so freeing to have like, these different characters that kind of represented me. And I think like though the first time, like I can ever remember like on a conscious level being like, this is me um, was the music of Tori Amos and Alanis Morissette specifically. And having that moment where I'm like, Oh my gosh, these people are singing songs that speak to my soul. And then like walking around campus, listening to them on my disc man, cause I'm old as hell. And um, <laughs> go having this moment where I was like, Oh my God, wait, it's like a one in a million chance that you're going to become famous enough to mass produce CDs and write these songs. And if these one in a million people can write an experience that is so close to mine, lots of other people have to have this experience and realize that there are more people like me out there. I just hadn't found them yet and connected with them or asked the right questions of the people I knew. And that was a really interesting and kind of defining moment for me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
But to that end, like, how important do you think it is for there to be characters that people identify with? I know I've been seeing, like, um, not to bring up, like, controversial topics, but there's a, apparently a new show that has a lot of diversity in it that's creating, like, as expected, a lot of frustration among people. And the internet's getting angry about, you know, um, a female firefighter and a transgendered person and people having a hard time paying their bills and stuff. Um, but like, I think that's a, sounds like a really cool show to me. <laughs> Cause like, I think I personally think it's really important for there to be characters that people can identify with, but I'm wondering about the thought. That's just my thoughts. Here yeah. We Representation in the media is incredibly important. Um, mm -hmm. Especially in, as children, seeing yourselves represented, seeing that there are more people like you, seeing Ariel, seeing an angsty redhead, <laughs> seeing, you know, <laughs> a, a princess that doesn't want to be a princess, a princess that doesn't want to follow the rules, um, whatever it, it might be, different genders, different ethnicities, different abilities and disabilities, different family makeups, you know, seeing adopted families represented, for instance, child and adoptive family, you don't even you don't see that very often and that's incredibly common. Um, but in terms of like the role that media can play in a child's life, in terms of fostering, you know, emotional and intellectual and social development, which they research has found they do do, they're a very important contributor to that kind of development as a child. Seeing yourself represented not only increases the ability that they will touch you in some way, influence you in some way because you can relate, um, but it also opens the doors, you know, to possibilities. Like if you are a person of color and you've never seen a person of color be a ballerina, talking about, what's her name, Misty Copeland? Like Misty Copeland becoming the principal ballerina was a huge deal for that exact reason because girls everywhere were like, oh, you know, the main role in the Nutcracker isn't just for white, blonde ballerinas. Anybody, anybody can do that. I think it's so important. I always think about the um, story that Nichelle Nichols, who played Uhura in the original Star Trek, um, has talked about of like the, one of the very first times there was a fan who was a little girl, like a little African-American girl, and went up to her mother and said, Mommy, there's, there's a black lady on TV and she's nobody's maid. Like that just, like it gives me all the warm feels that I don't think anybody takes the media as the God's truth. Like, you can only be what the media says, but it does make a huge difference when you can see your struggles represented, when you can see, you know, someone that you identify with either because they look like you or because they have the same difficulties you do. Um, because that, that gives us, I mean, it's basically telling a story and we like stories. I know Megan, I think is writing a whole book on how our brains like stories. Um, and it, I think it gives you possibilities and, and avenues. I mean, I, I think it's not in media, but I guess technically it was, but, you know, the first woman in space, like, holy cow, a woman can be an astronaut. I think that's something that we all, you know, we know, but until you see it, like, I know it's possible for the U.S. to have its first female president, but until I see it, you know, there's, there's a disconnect there between something that's possible and something that is. I feel like I always end up on a queer platform on this one, but <laughs> I'm going to continue on it anyway. Um, there's a lot of psych media research into like queering as like a verb, queering content versus seeing representation in content. And I mean, when I say queering content, I mean like, for example, 
to bring it back to Kelly's favorite genre of games, JRPGs. Uh, <laughs> in, um, in Persona 5, you play a, a male character um, nicknamed the Joker. And so not no relation. It's completely unrelated to the movie or the DC canon. Um, but you play Joker and he gets to pick who he wants to date and get close to all female candidates. And so technically as a queer woman, female identified person, I can queer the game by dating the girls. Um, and that's where like as a queer person, I felt seen being able to court whoever I want, especially like in Stardew Valley where you can be a girl character and like marry characters that are whatever genders that are offered now, given it's a binary gender representation there for like suitors, but you can be whoever you want to be. Um, and so it's kind of, what are the restrictions of the game when you come to ludology and like the labels given already versus like, what you engage with. So as queer representation goes, I think it's really vital, especially for people trying to figure out like, or not trying to figure out, but just even understanding what it is to be whoever you are and accepting that and exploring that within yourself. Cause like for my own journey, I didn't have much exposure to queer content until I became queer and then I looked for it and I found it, but like it wasn't in front of my face. I never saw it as an option. Um, not to say that like, had I, I would have totally changed my life but it could have, you never know. Well, I, I keep getting drawn back to something um, a fantasy author was telling me about. It's like when um, he and his spouse write fantasy, they write it in terms of trying to be teaching because it's like, we're going to talk about two weeks in somebody's life that are probably the worst two weeks of their life. And we hope in this that we can give you some tools that the, you as the reader can take away to help you grow and develop in your life. But in order to do that, like you need to identify with the character because if you don't have any tie into that character, you're not going to grow and develop. And I think that's where, you know, it, the characters relating to us and speaking to us and us feeling seen can be so important. Cause like, I have, I haven't done all the research into this yet, but like I'm, I'm positive mirror neurons play in there somewhere. And, you know, it, it helps us with like rehearsal and practice and it, it's just, it makes us feel, I think, more like people. And it helps unite us to see that, like, we are all represented. We can all be here. To bring it back to games, um, there's one example that I used in my, my culture, and psych or culture and games class last semester is in the original, I think it was the original Mass Effect, and I think also in Mass Effect 2. I'd have to check my notes. Um, but, you know, you can play as... Male Shep or Female Shep. So Mass Effect 2. Anyway, you can play as Male Shep or Female Shep. You can pick, but, you know, in Mass Effect, you can have romances. Male Shep could romance female, and that was it. Female Shep could romance females and males. And so there's this moment of like, well, wait a minute. Why can't Male Shep romance other men? Like, you can romance aliens. And so there's this idea, this kind of, this rhetoric embedded in the gameplay mechanics that, you know, male and female relationships are fine. Female and female relationships are fine, probably because the game was made by all men. Like, oh yeah, lesbians hot, or, you know, whatever it is that they, that they do. But this idea of like a man romancing a man was just nothing that ever came into the designer's mind or if it did, they said no to it. And I feel like that, that stings. That's like a, a very public rejection of that, like, 
that way of, of, of living. I don't want to say preference because I, I, but I'm trying to find the better word. I went to Dr. Sawyer's LGBTQ presentation and I, I wish I had my notes because I'm sure she used a better word than, than that. But like, I mean, imagine saying, no, redheads aren't allowed to exist in this world because we said so. I would feel really bad. I would feel really bad. Well, and to expand it beyond queer representation and clean, like make it really simple. The culture with which one creates the content steers the way in which we interpret the content. And so like, you can see this across gender politics, across sexuality politics, across racial politics, across ability politics. Like there's so much um, discussion, at least in our niche of the gaming community and gaming industry around like, how is ability and disability and like physical accommodation represented not only in the tools with which we play the games, but also in the game itself. Like, is there a character with prosthetics? Is there a character with like a wheelchair? Or um, is there a character who requires alternate, whatever kind of equipment compared to the other characters in the game? Like there, it's so nuanced to the culture with which um, the people who make the games control. So I think that it, it's so complex. Well, and that brings hard to piece it apart that way. That's a good pivot into my next question, which is like, what guidance or advice would you give to people either creating um, games or med- you know, media of any kind to help create characters that other people can identify with, you know, to write out for experiences that are not their own? You know, create characters that represent the world around us, first of all. Um, there are, there's a whole job of, of people they're called sensitivity readers i believe um so so if you want to include experiences that are not your own uh, and you want to do them in an authentic way you hire people who do have that experience um to help inform the best you know design choices um in terms of representation i just want to i was looking up some numbers because i love a good statistic um in terms of books i have i have a lot of stats on books and representation because of Pragmatic Princess, but in 2018, only one out of 100 of the top-selling books of 2018 children's books featured a disabled character, but they had no name and they had no speaking role. Only two out of 100 featured a Black, Asian, or minority ethnic character in a central role, and 70% of them had no Black, Asian, or minority characters with a speaking role. And that's, you know, our children's books. So I don't know how games compare. Is it similar? Is it is it better or not? Um, but it's obviously unacceptable. So we need to start pivoting into things that are, you know, more representative of the world we live in. It makes it be- for better games. It makes for better, um, us being ever- better able to relate to the characters and just, you know, better entertainment. Yeah, I have the stats oh, on the perfect. games. I know. Perfect. Surprise. <laughs> Shocking. So there's something like, uh, you know, it, at its highest, 25% of video game characters that are playable are female. So the number goes up if they're non-playable because they're like background characters. Um, but yeah, to have any kind of playable or agency, it's something like a quarter. Um, and if you look at something like race, I think African-Americans account for about 10%. But if you take away sports games, it drops down to 1%. So if you're looking for a woman of color, you have like a 0.01% chance of having a playable woman of color. Um, there are examples, you know, the, the Walking Dead, uh, some the Michonne one, obviously, you know, that one, um, 
covers that. And then one of the Assassin's Creeds, I'm not sure if she counts as a woman of color. Cause I think, oh no, yeah. Cause it was, it was based in China. If I won't remember right. The one where they had a female lead. Um, but anyway, so it's not good. It's, it's not good. And it's the same thing if you look at um, mental health. So the, there's a research by Shapiro and Rotter that found out of, you know, like 90 games from the 2011 era, like the most popular ones, 25% had a character that had a mental illness, which is, you know, that's actually overrepresented compared to, you know, our, the U.S. at least, which is one, in, which is 20%. Um, but almost all of the representations they found were really negative, strongly stigmatized, heavily stereotyped. And so not, not the kind of portrayals that you would necessarily hope to see. Um, so yeah, it needs, it needs to be better. And I actually forgot the original question because I was like, oh, it's what guidance would you give to help people be more representative? Oh, Yes. I did a talk on that at Games for Change, specifically around mental health representation in games. Um, the first thing is ask yourself, is this your story to tell? Because if it's not, um, maybe seriously consider not telling it um, or supporting somebody else whose story it is to tell instead of like amplifying someone's voice, give them the mic, you know, so to speak. Um, but if you want to go down that road to include the population that you're trying to portray. So in terms of mental health, if you want to make something about persons with bipolar disorder, you want a character to have bipolar disorder, you need to you know, learn about that community and talk to people in that community. And even if you yourself have it, like you have one experience to share. And if that's what you're sharing, then great. Then completely ignore whatever else I'm going to say. But if you're trying to make something that is has a broader appeal, then you do need to talk to several people and to get their experiences. Um, it's very much what they did with Hellblade. You know, they brought individuals, you know, professionals by um, academics, so psychiatrists, psychologists, therapists, but then also professionals by experience. You know, people who had experienced uh, hallucinations and hearing voices and had were recovering from um, different forms of psychosis. So if it's not, yeah. So one, always ask. You know, is it your story to tell? And then two, um, regardless of that answer if you're going to be representing a group of people, you know, do your due diligence and talk with that group of people. So I would say that I absolutely concur with Kelly um, that you need to consult, 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 and then consult some more um, because fandoms are pushing back and saying, not only is it important to have options. So like for the player character, it's important to, break the rules a little bit that have been previously structured where it's like a dude who can date girls and mix it up. Have non-binary options. Have people who just use they, them, and it's not a to-do. That's another element that I always recommend is like, don't make a to-do of it. Don't be like, oh, you're a lesbian. But then also there's like erasure and cultural reinforcement of like bad, weird, don't. Because like, okay, so in my uh, to give you a baby sample of my talk, from the other day that uh, Dr. Kelly Dunlap attended. Um, Autostraddle, a lesbian blog community website, they're, they're a big organization, did a study on media um, and found that between the years of 1976 to 2016, um, only 16% of relationships represented that were queer were successful by the end of the show. Um, so it's, important to be able to 
oh, uh, it's important to be able to acknowledge that like not only should they exist in the game or the content, but but also like don't make them part of the plot twist and don't make them die right away or like don't make them sick and that's what makes them a lesbian or that's what makes them like non-binary or whatever. Um, and then also like, um, I would say when you go about representation, a really great TED talk to watch to kind of understand the point that I'm trying to make instead of me going on a, on a tirade is to watch um, the TED talk called The Danger of a Single Story. Um, it is about how if we see people as a stereotype and we lean on those stereotypes or our previous understandings that it can be really dangerous and making assumptions, it does what the word spells out. So trying not to do that. Yeah. Well, and, and one resource I would point people towards too, I just learned about this one recently is called Writing the Other. Uh, it's a collection of classes on writing experiences from perspectives that are other than your own. And I got one of their, their books called Writing the Other. Um, and I actually really appreciated this. So one of my background pieces is I'm from Maine. And uh, one of the authors of this book is too. And they're talking about like bad representation and not doing your research. And it was the story that they were reading about uh, that took place in Maine. And it was a Maine lobsterman who was best friends with a... Uh, owner of a bed and breakfast from New York who was gay. And she got so mad at that because she's like, no Mainer would be best friends with someone from New York. <laughs> and, and it's so true. It's completely true. Like, honestly, in Maine, we don't care about sexuality all that much, but we care about what state you were born in. And if it's not from Maine, mm. <laughs> Somewhat related. Yeah. As I remember when the show 24 was on. Mm -hmm. Um, and of course it takes place in Washington, DC, which I know, you know, I live here and I remember there'd be like, we need to get to the white house. And they're at like the Pentagon. And then they're in five minutes. I'm like, no, not even at 2 AM. Could you do that? Um, and then on the flip side, I think about fallout three, which is placed in DC and like down to the streets, it is accurate. And it just is like, you, you took the time and you took the care like, if you say it's going to be a thing, then do the thing, um, which I know is not super um, well, articulate. But they did the same thing in uh, Sony's Spider-Man, where New York was very well done. Um, I remember seeing, I think it was a whole Reddit thread of people recreating shots, like going to different places in New York to get the photographs of some of the different scenes that they had in the video game, because they did just such a good job rendering it. Yeah. And I, I mean, I don't want to say that I also know that that's a huge privilege, like to have the kind of budget to be able to, to do that. Um, and so I guess another way of saying it is that uh, and this actually came from Dr. Paul Fletcher. He was one of the collaborators on Hellblade and in one of the documentary series that I, I watched because I've like watched them all. Um, he was talking about how it's important to be authentic, but not to try to generalize. And so this is specifically for, you know, psychosis and help and, and authenticity would be like, yes, have, you know, hearing things and, and hearing voices, seeing hallucinations. It can be very scary. Like I, we don't, you know, if you tried to have a game about psychosis, that was all like puppies and rainbows like that. I, that wouldn't feel, at least in my understanding, um, as someone who has never experienced psychosis, that probably wouldn't feel authentic. It'd be like, wait, no, this isn't the puppies and rainbows. You know, this is something that's that can be really scary. Um, 
But at the same time, they're telling Senua's story. And it's not going to generalize to every single person who's ever experienced psychosis. And I think that goes back to what Sarah was talking about, of the danger of one story. Um, we, we see that happen a lot when Depression Quest came out, is there was a lot of pushback for, I mean, many, many reasons that I don't want to talk about because then Voldemort will appear. You know, that was one person's experience of depression. And she, you know, Zoe Quinn and that team was very clear, like, this is our experience of it. But then that became the depression game. And I think we see something similar with uh, Hellblade is this is the psychosis game. And there were, I think it was a Kotaku article about, you know, what Hellblade gets wrong about psychosis. And that article makes me so mad because the idea that one game could capture every facet, like there was nothing wrong with that game in terms of its, I, I think its portrayal was perfect because that was her experience. And that was what the creators like intended to be authentic, but not to generalize. Um, and so the answer to that is not to try and make a game that is all things to all people, because we know that's impossible. That's an impossible task. But what we need are more games that speak to different types of those experiences. Um, we've definitely seen a ton more games come out after Depression Quest. You know, there, there's actual sunlight, which is another one that's really common. Uh, what Remains of Edith Finch definitely touches on, um, I mean, it touches on psychosis and depression and anxiety and like the whole pantheon of mental disorders. Um, and so we need, we need more stories to be told so that people can be seen and heard and not have, okay, you are the depression game, you are the psychosis game. Mm -hmm. And the same way, you know, this is the game for, you know, Native Americans. This is the game for Hispanic Americans. This is the, you know, like those, those ones are good, but they're not enough. Well, and it's good to just to start having them because it's like that we can have the first one and that can open the floodgates. But I, you know, I hope, just kind of summarize our message here is like put different characters and put different experiences in ask use the resources that are out there and just let that be there um we're going to take a quick break and then when we come back we will talk about what our brains have been noodling on are you looking for a book to talk to children about girls do you want to see little ladies solving their own problems buy pragmatic princess today on amazon by dr rachel Cohort. Megan's looking at me like it's time. So we're back. Sarah, what has your brain been noodling on recently? Oh, my brain has been noodling on preparing for my panel for PAX East. Um, whoop, whoop. I am leading a panel on um, female slash non-binary experiences in geek spaces. And so I am excited to figure out how to create a supportive not therapeutic, but also very controlled environment for people to be able to open up and show their experiences to broaden the stories that we know and the understandings of how the community and the culture can impact us. So it'll be, it'll be good. It's cool. I will be in the front row. I'll be there in spirit. <laughs> okay. And now Sarah has to go. And actually we also already lost Dr. Rachel because she had to go as well. Cause we went over time a little bit today. But okay. because adulting, adulting, adulting. schedules—they are the bye, of everything. Bye, bye, Sarah. <laughs> so, uh, Kelly, what? If so, you I would like. Well, I would like to do Rachel's noodle because okay. I feel like I can do it. Yeah. So this is going to be my racial impression. Okay. So right now, I am working on a bunch of books. And I am trying to get Pragmatic Princess out there in the world. And so if it, you know somebody uh, for Valentine's Day that would like a book, 
like pragmatic princess is perfect because just like I said, with all those stats, you know, we need better representation in the world. And I've been noodling on research opportunities. And yes, I feel like that is a very good Rachel. (laughs) (laughs) I hope I did her proud. I think Um, so. I still still need to practice my inflection a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, but yes, so see, my brain has been noodling uh, again since the semester is going. It is all about games and psychology. I'm teaching the psychology of games and it's a brand new course. I haven't seen really anybody else's syllabus um, that's done something like this before, especially in the way that um, I'm, I'm wanting to use it. So I am scrambling my brain to figure out, okay, how do I get in lecture and discussion? And I think it's really important for my students to actually play games during the course. So trying to figure out the logistics of getting different games. Some are PC, some are Mac, some are Xbox, some are PlayStation. Like, you know, trying to get this all to work um, has really been a challenge. And yeah, and I guess the other thing would be just, you know, now that I officially have a a new job, there's a a shift in, um, you know, planning my days and, I'm excited about the opportunities that will that will come this way. So I'm thinking about, you know, getting back into practice and what books do I need to reread because it's been a hot minute <laughs> since I've been in practice. Um, and just kind of thinking about the, the, as we would say in games, the opportunity space um, that is out there for those things. Uh, there's a lot. How about you? Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, I, games. Uh, so I just got... This game, I'm holding it up, which is so effective for a podcast, of course. But um, are you familiar with the comic Cyanide and Happiness? Yes. Yes. Big fan. So this is their second game called Trial by Trolley. Um, it is the trolley paradox. Um, so those who are not familiar with it, this is you are controlling a trolley and it is out of control. And you have to choose a direction that you go in. One direction will kill like some innocent person, but the other direction will go into a crowd of people. And which do you choose? Um yeah, it's usually like a, a either a pregnant mother, like one pregnant mother or one infant, or a group of like five adult to elderly people. Yeah, yeah, it's it's never like a good choice. Um, and so this one, like, you get to stack the tracks. Um, so on the cover, they show, I believe this is uh, Nickelback on one side. Poor Nickelback. A a peaceful protesting white supremacist on the other. But. You put that's an easy choice, yeah. But. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but you put things on the tracks that are, you know, they have innocent cards, uh, which are things like, here's a little puppy and a kitten who are best friends, and some kids playing in a pool. But then you put evil things on the tracks as well, like actually Hitler. And then teams get to put things around, like little thought bubbles above the head of like, these kids are going to die in two years anyway. <laughs> you know? Wow. To try and stack the, the decision of the person who's controlling the trolley. And I, it's mm-hmm. one of those like a little bit horrible games, but also sort of in- interesting to see like the debate skills and what people end up going for. And I guess knowing your audience too, because yes. anybody who knows me, that if there is a dog on mm-hmm. the track, it does not matter what is on the other track because nothing is going to hurt that dog. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and it's, it's a cool game because it's a team game, um, but you keep switching teams every turn until everybody has had a chance to be the judge to decide which way the trolley is going to go. Um, so I'm looking forward to playing this. I'm going to need to have some people over and to play it, but I'm excited about it. I think it's just kind of, I like these sort of ridiculous games that are uh, funny, but also can kind of open up broader conversations and thoughts. So. 
Yeah, absolutely. I know. I, I was actually thinking, I mean, I guess it's another noodle. I'll just throw it out yeah, there. Sure. Um, I was thinking about you, Megan, mm -hmm. because I started my very first D and D campaign <gasps> this past weekend, like full, we're meeting every two weeks. Oh my God. Um, and I, I wanted to share that my, I was like, okay, I'm going to not be me. I'm always a tank. I'm always a heavy. I'm always the stabby stab. I am going to be like a peaceful, I, I told the DM, I want to be a therapist. I want to be a therapist bard. That's what I want to do. I want to help people and I want them, I want to like do good. Um, and what ended up happening is now I use my psychic powers to like murder people. <laughs> And like, I didn't want, I didn't want to do that. And I tried to make a good character and I still ended up as yeah. like a murderer. That stuff comes out anyway. Like, that's just like our, our stuff can't help but come out. Like I wanted to make a super impulsive, like do whatever the hell they want bard. But like, I ended up still being the character giver of the whole group. Um, that, it it can't help it, but it's, it's fun. Like it's so fun. And bards are amazing. Like they're the best class. I am. I am very excited. I've never played a bard before, so I'm a Calanther. Calanther. Oh, I, can, I, I, I don't know of, how to pronounce it either. I know which Rise of Eberron. Yeah, it's yeah. the Dream People. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Because like, okay. I don't know. I don't know how they're Kalashar. Sure. Something like that. Yeah. yeah I'm like okay, psionic. That makes that would be mm -hmm. sense because then I could be like a really good therapist. Um, and so I'm excited for that to to go forward and have a campaign that actually like. So I've done a couple one-offs. I did a one-off mm -hmm. with you um, at, at Pax Unplugged. Yeah, Unplugged. Yeah, yep. Unplugged. And I did one with Tony a couple years ago, but it was just like character creation. So I'm like, I'm ready. I'm ready. Oh, that's so exciting. I can't wait to hear more about your campaign. <laughs> uh, I have discovered that. So I'm like this super like emotionally attuned character and everybody else in my party is like an emotionally stunted, unavailable like cyborg. So that'll be an interesting dynamic. Oh, that's going to be fun. You're going to have so much fun. It's so awesome. Looking forward to it. Yeah. Well, we will wrap up for this week. We started off with three and then we ended with two, but we were four at one point. Uh, we'll be back in a couple of weeks. And um, one of the things we want to start doing is send us your noodles. So listeners, if you have brain noodles, send to uh, geekslikeus at Gmail or tweet at geekslikeus on Twitter and let us know the things you've, your brain's been noodling on and the different problems you've been having. Um, try to keep it to around 30 seconds if you can. Uh, just a little quick little noodles and we'll try to start including those in the show. Anyway, thank you all, and we'll see you soon. Bye. Bye. Brain Noodles is a production of Geeks Like Us. Your hosts for this podcast are doctors Megan Connell, Kelly Dunlap, Rachel Cowart, and Sarah Sawyer. Music for this podcast is The Life of Riley by Kevin McLeod. Audio edited, mixed, and mashed by Amelia Herbst. Follow Geeks Like Us on Twitter at G33KS, like us, that's at G33KSLIKEUS. Until next time, keep noodling.